This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. I want to thank Don Waddell, General Manager and President of the Carolina Hurricanes, for stopping by to conclude Hour 1, and David Amber for stepping up to kick off uh, Hour 1. In the meantime, to talk about all things winter classic, to say nothing of the, the Blues and the Leafs, which we will see later on this evening, and maybe some Connor Bedard talk as well. He is Elliot Friedman uh, from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, hello, Fried. You can't get enough of me. You had me all weekend, and here we are again, my work spouse. I have to say, 2023 is three days old, and I'm already sick of you. I have a I have a question for you about <laughs> uh, about uh, Amber. Did Amber bring up his harebrained Connor Bedard theories? Yes, he did. Got to them almost right away. Oh my God! So what did he say? I couldn't listen. I was at the morning skate. What did he say? Okay. So he said, if you're a team that won the lottery and had first overall pick, would you entertain the idea uh, of trading that pick for like a slew, like an essentially an Eric Lindros deal, which, you know, was a, which was a forced trade. Like it was Quebec's preference to have to have kept the player. It was a forced yes. deal. Um, but he, 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 he wondered about the idea of a team saying, essentially, uh, we'll open the doors, uh, take as much as you want, just give us Connor Bedard in return. The thing that I kept coming back to, and I sort of, I kind of couch it like this for each, there's, a, uh, there's hockey operations and then there's business operations. And while, even though it might make sense in some regards from a hockey ops point of view, if you're the owner of an NHL team or you're working the business side of things, you got you got a guy in here that's going to create buzz. He's going to fill the building. He's going to be a superstar in your league for a long time. You build marketing campaigns around this guy, attracts fans, attracts sponsors. Even if Hockey Ops wanted to do this, isn't this a situation where the owner would step in and say, "Look, um, this is the uh, let's let's remember the golden rule here. He or she who has the gold makes the rules and we're keeping Bedard. Yeah, I'm not going to be as nice to you. Amber's idea is terrible. It's like just uh, <laughs> and, and, and I was uh, like we have a chat and I was hammering him on the chat last night. He was starting to get a little mad at me but nobody's doing it. And, and I think you met, you mentioned the key, the key point is that the only reason Quebec even did that with Lindros is he didn't want to play there. And you know, I think, like, I understand why people think about these kinds of things. They're like, well, in the NHL, you need a team, which you do, to win the Stanley Cup. But I think the NHL, if you look at the teams that win the Stanley Cup, they also have elite-level talent, like elite-level talent. You, you know, Colorado had really good depth. They went out and they made great depth additions last year, Manson, Leckin, and Cogliano. But at the top, they had Kale McCarr, and they had Nathan McKinnon, and they had Rantanen. And you look at Tampa Bay, yes, they had a tremendous third line of, uh, of Gordon and, and Goodrow that helped them win the, uh, the Stanley Cup, and Coleman that helped them win the Stanley Cup. But they had Hedman, and they had Stamkos, and they had Kucherov, and yeah. they had Point. And I, I just like... And the business idea is fair. Like, I don't even think that's, that's, that's a bad thing to bring up. Of course, like, how mad are your fans going to be if you trade that guy? I don't know. I just, oh, yeah. The idea that anybody would even, like, there was, there was a reason McDavid was never traded or Matthews was never traded. Like, I'll, I'll say this. I heard that there was a team that called the Leafs 
like minutes before they were going to make the pick for Matthews. And Lamorello just was like picked up the phone and like slammed it down. <laughs> like, that. like it was just, <laughs> it's just like, like the idea that anybody would do this. It, it's craziness. But I guess we're going to do this tonight. So we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, one of, one of the other things, too, and I brought this up with uh, with David as well, because the, the example that he raised was, well, what if the Anaheim Ducks win um, the lottery? And they have you yeah. know Trevor Zegers down the middle and Mason McTavish down the middle, et, et cetera. Um, could they entertain the idea of, of moving that pick? And I, I brought up the Chris Pronger example, and I, I think it might have been Jack Ferreira who was the GM at that point. Maybe it was Dean Lombardi, but I don't think so. Um, you know, Pronger's, Pronger, you know, always tells a story about at his draft. Now, San Jose had the second pick. They ended up trading it to Hartford. And Hartford, yeah. you know, with Berkey, you know, drafted second overall and ended up taking Pronger. But in the interview, they told Pronger that they weren't going to draft him. And he said, well, why wouldn't you draft me? This is the Dague draft. And he said, well, we've already got enough big defensemen. We've got Rathje. We've got Ragnarsson. We don't need another. And by that, just completely disqualified the idea of taking one of the best defensemen, not just of that era, that generation, but one of the best defensemen of all time uh, in the NHL, to, to which I always say, I don't care about where, how deep you are at certain positions. You just grab whatever the best player is. Like I, I know teams always say, we're just taking the best player available. It's true. I know you, you, you're are, you are able in some situations to draft for positional need, but when it comes to someone like Connor Bedard, I don't think you look at your team and say, yeah, we're pretty deep down the middle. We don't need this guy. We can move the pick. I think that's yeah. – I always think back to Pronger. And so, like, you, you passed on Chris Pronger because of that. I'll give you another one. I'll give, first of all, like, one of the more interesting debates right now is, is Bedard going to play center when he first gets to the NHL? Like, as far as I'm concerned, that guy can play wherever he wants. But, you know, fine. It, it, like, if you think he's going to have to start on the wing – which I don't think is the end of the world, then you don't even have to worry about the fact you already have Zegers and McTavish. Like, to me, great players can play wherever, and you can create situations for them. I would never worry about that. I'm with you. You draft the best of the player, the best player you can, and you figure out how to make it all work. But the other great story to that is in the 1984 NBA draft, uh, Kim won one, Michael Jordan third. Yeah. And in the middle, Portland drafted a center named Sam Bowie, who was a really good college player, but he had bad leg problems. And there were always big yeah. concerns that if you took this guy, it would, you'd, have, you'd have a risk. And Bob Knight, the famous basketball coach, he knew the GM of the, uh, of the Portland Trailblazers. And that year, Jordan played at the Olympics, and Knight, had a, uh, and Knight coached that team. They won the gold medal. And uh, the, the, the night so I had a conversation with the GM of the Blazers. They said, look, we're hearing that. Um, actually, you know, it was even before then. It was in the tryouts or something like that because the Olympics would have been after the draft. But it was sometime around there. It was when they were picking the team or something like that. But anyway, the, the GM told Knight uh, they, they knew Houston was taking Elijah on first. And Knight says, you're taking Bowie, right? He goes, no, we already have Clyde Drexler. Uh, we don't need Michael Jordan. We need a center. And the line that Knight oh, told them was, the line that Knight told them was, so draft Michael Jordan and play him at center. <laughs> like, you're going to be an <laughs> idiot if you don't take this guy. <laughs> he was right. Uh, it's a great line. He's right. 
Um, okay, so that's the, uh, the 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 Connor Bedard story as it relates to right now. Uh, Canada faces off against the United States in the semifinal. Um, Winter Classic. Uh, where to begin on this? Let's before we get to the game itself, and I do want to ask you about Jake DeBrusque. Um, yeah. The NHL really has this thing nailed now. Like, they're mm-hmm. way past the growing pain stage of how to do the Winter Classic. And one of the things that I was mentioning off the top was it seems as if the NHL now, and listen, next year is going to be in Seattle at a, at a baseball uh, baseball park. It seems as if they've, they've come to the conclusion that this type of event fits better in a baseball, with a baseball background than a football background where the rink itself can, can kind of get lost because the stadiums are so big. Agree or disagree? I think there's some truth to that. I think also that it's just harder because the football seasons are still going on, right? Unless you have a good college yep. stadium. Um, like, I, I hope someday they go to Ohio State. I just think, it, and I know that the issue is that they're concerned that the, the old plumbing at Ohio State can't handle it all. But I would, I would love to see a game there. I would, you know, I'd love to see a game at at Penn State, but they're, you know, Pittsburgh and Philly have thought about it before and they've never gotten there. I, I do think that yep. for a lot of reasons, though, it has become easier. And but one of the things you mentioned there is the sight lines. It, hasn't, it has gotten easier at, football sta- at baseball stadiums. I mean, the other reason they're going to the baseball stadium in Seattle is, you know, for those of you listening to this on the West Coast, you know what the weather can be like in January. You need a roof option. You have to have a roof option. And at least the ballpark in Seattle uh, gives you a roof option. Look, Seattle and, and Vegas are already two of the top revenue teams in the NHL. That's why they're playing this game there. And that's why Vegas is going. Mm-hmm. They'll travel well, their fans, and they have no option in Vegas to do it. So, you know, they'll travel well there. It's, it's money and it's the fact that they have a covered stadium that they can play this in just to be safe. That's why they're going there. What, uh, what were your takeaways from Fenway, the sequel? This isn't the first time the NHL has done this. Um, we talked to Steve Mayer, the chief content officer of the NHL, who talked about how you know important it was to have the Green Monster as the backdrop. That really worked. Uh, yeah. Looked fantastic, uh, as we all saw. What were your takeaways from this one this time around? You know, look, I know that some people look at these outdoor games and say, meh, it's for the people who go. Um, you know, that was my 18th one, and uh, it's been a while since I've been at one, actually, especially in the States. But you're always reminded, like, the people have a great time. You know, Jeff, like, we were walking the concourse a little bit yesterday. You know, the, the people yeah. were – it was awesome. Like, they had – it wasn't the most exciting game, to say the least. Uh, it, was, mm-hmm. uh, it was a great ending for the hometown, but it wasn't the most exciting game. But nobody's leaving from there and saying, I had a bad time. And I, I know this is sacrilege, but I have to say Fenway looks probably better in black and yellow than it does in red and white. Like the, the color scheme of the fans, the stadium looked awesome. Um, I, I mean, who had a bad – I mean, the only people that had a bad time, yes, they were the Penguins, and they're the visiting team anyway, so screw them. <laughs> it, you're right. Like, I think like the first forty were uh, were a snooze fest. I don't think really anybody cared because of how 
a how gorgeous it looked and how much of a spectacle it was and like yeah. just everything around the event. Third period was good. Jake DeBrusque with a pair of goals. I'll tell you when he got hit with that shot and he went down and let's see, he comes back and scores on the same shift uh, on that on that wraparound. Uh, I thought, oh, oh, that's it. We got a we got an injury here. It's not just Jari who's gonna who's already left, but it's gonna be Jake DeBrusque as well. Uh, I think I've mentioned this to you before. Listen, Eric Carlson's having a, a real special season for the San yeah. Jose Sharks. But if it weren't for Eric Carlson, would we not look at Jake DeBrusque and say he may be the comeback player of the year? Like he looks like a completely different player, super productive, super happy, all of it, all under under Jim Montgomery. Do you have a thought on the actual third period itself? And listen, that would have been so cool if Linus Allmark would have nailed that shot. And, and and got the empty yeah. netter. But your thoughts on DeBrusque and your, your thoughts on the game itself, maybe a thought or two on Linus Allmark. Well, first of all, Jeff, I, I agree with you. I, like I said, it wasn't the most exciting game for the beginning, but the third period was really good. Uh, I saw Darren Pang this morning. He was here with the Blues, and I, I told him what a great interview he did with DeBrusque on the ice in the post game. It was, yeah. it was excellent. Um, really, really well done. It captured the emotion of both the situation uh, and the player perfectly. Uh, you know, like I, obviously, I like this is this is when I when I think of Jake DeBrus, if there's an executive in the league who always used to tell me, if there's there's two ways to deal with a problem, you can solve your problem or you can trade your problem, and it's always better to try to solve your problem, and that is what you know Boston did. We all know last year that Jake DeBrus asked for a trade. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't do it. They held on. Uh, and they're, they're yeah. getting the benefits of it now. And, you know, it goes to another thing that we've talked about is sometimes, um, you know, it just shows you how incredible it is that John Cooper, as he approached 10 years with the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, won two cups and got within two wins of another. I think that people and voices get stale. And it was very clear that the voice of, Bruce Cassidy was no longer working for the Boston Bruins and Louis DeBrusque, and they made the change. And the voice of Bruce Cassidy is working for the Vegas Golden Knights. But I think it's a reminder that we all need change in our lives from time to time, that we get stale and our relationships get stale. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's scary to take that step, but sometimes you have to do it. Is this your way of breaking up with me? (laughs) Don't worry. If I would have wanted to do that, it would have happened already. <laughs> uh, well, it sounds like Ryan Merkley's breaking up with the San Jose Sharks. Let's go yeah. to Frank Saravelli's report this morning about um, a former first-round draft pick from 2018. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Merkley is – no one's ever denied the skill. Ryan Merkley is a supremely gifted um, defenseman, the skill set. I remember watching him, geez, even before the OHL, watching him play for the Junior Canadians in, in the, the GTHL. Like, super elite. Like, that's the yeah. way this guy has always been described. Controversy has always followed. There's always, you know, one or two players in the draft that you look at and you say, you know, has top five skill, but it's going to fall. And he did. Uh, we thought he would fall into the second round. The San Jose Sharks grabbed him. And I remember talking to someone at San Jose after the draft, and I said, Merkley, eh? And this person said to me, listen, we've got really good leadership here, whether it's Logan Couture or Joe Pavelski. Like, we're, we're, we're okay taking, taking projects like this on. 
because our dressing room is so solid. Uh, now it looks as if you know Mike Greer uh, is you know trying to trying to find a new home for Ryan Merkley. Do you have a thought on this one? Well, I, I think that you know I remember at the time when they drafted him, hearing the same things. Doug Wilson talked about them very publicly. But, you know, look who was there then who isn't there now. You know, Joe Pavelski's in Dallas. And, you know, Joe Thornton, while he's back in San Jose, he's not in the dressing room. And, um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, one of the big challenges of if you're going to depend on your room to say, okay, uh, we can handle this, you've got to make sure those guys are there, right? And that's not a shot at Logan Couture or anybody else, but the makeup has really changed. You know, Brent Burns has gone too. You know, Brent Burns is another guy yeah. who worked really hard at his craft. And, you know, everybody thinks about him as like the, the goofy guy with all the animals. Well, no, he takes his craft really seriously. And there's a reason why he is where he is as an NHL player. And, um, you know, I, I didn't think about it as much until today when I saw Frank's report. But, you know, if you have a plan, it shows you the, the concern or the danger of deviating from the plan. And sometimes it's in your control and sometimes it's not. But all of a sudden, all of the people that they thought Merkley was going to be surrounded with, a lot of them aren't there. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is that at that time, San Jose was still very high in its powers. You know, now you're rebuilding. Um, If someone doesn't fit now, when you're rebuilding team, you have to make sure you have pieces that fit. Because losing stinks, right, Jeff? So... You can't have people around who are going to make your situation worse. And I guess they just feel it, it isn't. Um, and I'm not specifically saying that, that like Merkley would make it worse or anything like that. But you've got to make sure if you're concerned about those kinds of things that you have the environment in place to deal with that. And San Jose is going to be making a lot of changes. So I guess that's where they are. It'll be interesting to see because like, he's still young. He's, what, 22, 23 years old? There's, uh, oh, yeah. I, I'd, be, oh, yeah. I'd be curious to see, like, like you know, I got people, uh, people are asking about Lafreniere in, uh, Lafreniere in, uh, yeah. in New York. And, like, I don't overreact to one healthy scratch. I, I don't like doing that. I really don't. But I do look at it and say, um, you know, the, the Rangers are, it's really strange. Like, they have like, some young defensemen who they've really done a great job with, Schneider, Miller. I mean, Fox, obviously, even though they didn't draft and they signed there. Like, but you look at the forwards all those years, Jeff, like uh, Anderson, uh, you know, it's just like, it's, it's a weird thing. Like, you've got to be sitting there. And some of it's on the player. It's never always on the team. And some of it's on the player. But if I'm the Rangers, I'm looking at this right now and I'm saying, like, why is this happening consistently to us? Yeah. You know, it's it's funny too. Yeah, you're right. You can run down, you know, the list of young forwards, whether it's Max and Alexi Lafreniere. Throw the other two in there as well, whether it's Capocacco. You know, I had someone over the weekend that I, I brought this up with, compare them to Yesu Puliarvi and say, like, well, they're they're kind of the same players. Like, no, they're not. They're not the same players. But then you look at, you know, Philip Heedle as well, and there's, like, this element of stops and starts with a lot of uh, 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 Kratzoff as well. Yeah. Uh, would be another one. Like I got, I got, I'm with you. Like I, I don't know what it is, but there, it, there does appear to be something there with Rangers forwards, um, and uh, helping them 
reach the potential that we all believe that they had when they when they uh, would uh, when they were drafted. Um, I want to get. Oh, by the way, uh, back to the San Jose Sharks really quickly. You mentioned Mike Greer, and as we know, there's the, the Ryan Merkley situation here right now with with him looking for a trade. And you mentioned that San Jose, you know, will be. You know, looking to retool this team. That's a team that's going to be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes as well. Like, yeah. if you're, if you're, you know, new general manager Mike Greer here, how deep do the cuts go? Well, I, I think now, like, I, I was actually going to write this when I put my blog together this week, Jeff. But like, there's there's a generational player in the coming up in the NBA draft this year, and uh, his name is Victor Wembanyama, and he's French. And, uh, you know, was, he was kind of known out there, but nobody had really seen him. And then earlier, the, mm-hmm. and, but there were teams already tanking. Like, they were like, this guy's pretty good. We've got to be in position. And then he appeared in something, I think it was in November, called the G League Showcase, where, he, like, he was there. And people, like, it was really the first time that people have got a chance to see him. Uh, and like in North America, and they were like, holy smokes. Like, this guy played, he was unbelievable. And there's, there was another pick there who was probably the number two pick, and he played pretty well, but this kid was unreal, like just unreal. And now all of a sudden, teams were like, okay, whatever we've done to tank, we've got to do more. And fans were like, <laughs> okay, whatever we've done to tank, we got to do more. Like, we want yeah. this guy. And and now, like, I mean, there's still the rest of the tournament to play. They've got the semifinal game and, and hopefully for them a final. But, um, like, that goal last night, like, first of all, all the numbers, but that goal last night, like, how many teams do you think watched that last night or how many fans do you think saw that last night or watched the highlights or whatever and said, whatever we're doing, it's not enough. Like, we, we have to do more. And I'm kind of wondering if that's going to be the lasting impression of this tournament. Like, if you haven't been tanking hard enough, you really you got to do a better job of trying to lose. <laughs> lose better. Hey, Chicago, lose better. Lose better. Hey, uh, hey, Columbus, lose better. Like, you're not doing a good enough job. Well, it, it is fascinating because the, the teams that we're talking about here, and I'm not sure where your cut line is. Mine might be between Arizona and Montreal. Somehow Philadelphia has strung together some wins, and they're kind of taking themselves out of the conversation. A lot of hockey still to play, but... Um, you know, Chicago certainly in this conversation. The Ducks, the Blue Jackets, the Sharks, probably Arizona. Although no, they're the still in a, they're making doing, it real tough for them. I give them credit. Like Arizona's played with a lot of pride this year. Like they, they really have. Like they, I, Arizona's better than we all thought. And uh, like they're trying. Like their organization's trying. But their players, and as you said, Vimelka. If I was them, I might like just say. Like have Vimelka like arrested for a few weeks. Sorry, um, we're, we're having some procedural <laughs> errors. You, you can't yeah. get out of jail. But I, like, I, like I wonder now. Like it's going to be interesting. Like who's the team in here tonight? St. Louis. Well, they just lost O'Reilly and they just yeah. lost um, Tarasenko. And you know, like that. Like, like are they going to say now? Okay. Like I think the only team that's really lower that's going to try to win. Yeah, is is going to be Florida because they don't want to be they don't want to be in the yeah. top eleven spot. Like they just don't want that to happen, and they want to make the playoffs. But I I think a lot of these teams now, I, I guarantee you, Jeff. Like you always talk about owner pressure. How many owners do you think yeah. looked at that last night and said, uh, 
what are our chances of getting this guy? Hmm. You know, it's funny, too, because normally from an ownership point of view, it's uh, we don't want you to tank. We need uh, we, we need some playoff revenue, whatever, whatever you can do to just even just scratch and claw your way in. Like to, to me, the interesting teams here and we'll, we'll see which way they go. Like you're right. Like Florida does not want this disaster that's on the horizon. Uh, the yeah. reason Elliot mentions, you know, top 11 is because, you know, the first round pick that they surrendered to Montreal for Ben Sherratt is not protected. So they're surrendering. Uh, they're surrendering that draft pick to the Montreal Canadiens. They do not want that to be anywhere near the lottery. Um, you know, I look at teams like Vancouver. I look at teams like Nashville. Um, and I say to myself, like, you know, these teams can go. These teams can go either way at at this at this juncture. And we've wondered about both. But teams that are right around 500, and St. Louis is right there. Like St. Louis is a 500 team. And yep. we've seen Doug Armstrong look at a team and say, yeah, we could make the playoffs, but we're not going to do anything, so we're going to move out some, some key pieces here. To dovetail this, you know, to dovetail this into, uh, into a conversation about the Blues, which we'll see tonight, you know, if you're St. Louis, now you have these two big injuries, how much of that do you think influences Doug Armstrong's decisions as now we're going to start talking a whole bunch about trade deadline? Well, I, I don't think it influences it as much because the, the record decides, right? Like, the, the, the record decides. Um, but at least now, like, the thing about Armstrong is he had a quote with Jeremy Rutherford yesterday where Rutherford basically asked him that. Does this change anything? And he said, not really, because we've been kind of monitoring what's been going on for a while now. And I think that's true. Like, I, I don't think he's lying about that. I think he's telling the truth because he kind of knows what everybody's thinking about Tarasenko and O'Reilly and – who's interested in what he might be able to get for them. And also guys like uh, Barbashev and Nikola too. But you know what I think, Jeff, what this tournament does with what Bedard's done is it makes it easier to sell your fans. Like, if, like just say for argument's sake, you decide like we're, we're done right now and we got to pull the shoe. Um, your fans are going to watch this and they're going to say, okay, we kind of understand it a little bit. Like that's, that's, a, that's not a small thing. Like sometimes if you pull the shoe in your season, your fans are pissed off at you. I think sometimes your fans are going to look at this and say, okay, if you do that, we kind of get it. It's just tough with a lottery, Elliot. It's just tough oh, yeah. with a lottery. Uh, That's how do you, uh, okay, so how do you, no, I know, and your chances are, are less than 20. So how do you, uh, how do you look at both these teams right now? You mentioned the St. Louis Blues and the decisions on the horizon for Doug Armstrong. What about the decisions for Kyle Dubas here? Like, we talked about this on the podcast a little bit. We'll see the Maple Leafs in action tonight on Sportsman Ontario as they face off against the St. Louis Blues. Like, what do you think is going through Dubas's mind here? Uh, I, I, first of all, I think it's a lot clearer than it was two months ago when everyone was fired. Um, you know, I, 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 think, <laughs> yep. I, I think what's happening is like, he only has so many moves he can make, right? Um, and he only has so many moves he can make. And, you know, one of the guys I was wondering about who I think would be a perfect fit for them potentially is a guy like Timo Mai, who I think would be in a fit for a lot of places. And I kind of asked around, I go, what's Toronto thinking? You know, because there be any chance that Timo Meyer becomes their top priority. And, you know, nobody's going to tell you directly, but, you know, what everybody says is, you know, they, you know, with Mazen out, they, they need that kind of a, 
they need that kind of sandpaper edge on the back end. Like, that's their choice. And now I just think that the way it's gone for some of these guys, I still think that could be their choice. But, Jeff, I think it's less clear. And like the thing is, for what it's going to take for you to go get Timo Meyer, if he, I'm not saying they're doing it. I'm just, please, everyone, don't radio me. God's sake, only two days into <laughs> the new year. Just like, if, do it. If you're gonna do go it. Out, if you're going to go out and, uh, and do that, you're not going to have a lot left in your, cha- in your chamber to go get somebody else, right? And yeah. our defensemen. So I, I think that's kind of what they're figuring out is, okay, with what we've got, what do we, like, what do we prioritize? And I think at the very least, they've dialed back and they're thinking, do we, do we change a little bit here? And, but they still have time. It's, it's like they, they're not in a position where we have to make this decision today. We still got, it's a two, the trade deadline's two months today, Jeff. They've still got time. Yeah. But I think they're kind of thinking yeah. of things a little bit differently than they were. You know, one of the other, and I don't disagree with you too. I, listen, there's still a lot of time, and injuries are going to be the ultimate wild card here, and, and may decide, decide a lot of things. Um, you know, one thing, and listen, the NHL is always better when this guy's involved. Uh, one of my favorites, I think you like him a lot too, and that's TJ Oshie, who returns for the Washington Capitals. It appears tonight, um, and the Caps are an interesting story. Like you know, I was mentioning, I was mentioning to you. Um, off air this morning, we're talking on the phone. You know, it, it looks like, you know, the the rest of the NHL should be, you know, extending a thank you to the Washington Capitals and Brian McClellan. He's put goaltenders in some really, really key positions. Like Phoenix Copley has really helped the Los Angeles Kings. Ilya Samsonov has really helped the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Vitek Vanacek has really helped, although it's been tough lately, the New Jersey Devils and the Washington Capitals continue to persevere and I always want to throw in one thing I think you and I talked about this at the beginning of the season very quietly and someone said this to me in the off season as well and it's turned out to be true the best low-key signing in the off season Charlie Lindgren netminder yeah, for the Washington Capitals absolutely destroyed the American League last season and we looked at him and said someone's getting a really good goaltender here probably for cheap Kudos to the Washington Capitals. You have a thought on how the Caps continue to defy aging curves and are still right back in this thing? Well, I, I think it's really amazing. It's not only injury, aging curves; it's injury curves. They, they don't. Have, they haven't had Backstrom. They haven't had Wilson. Oh, she's Wilson. been out now. Carlson's out after after taking that shot. And you know, I, I gotta wonder on some level if like the league's got to be looking at all these ways guys are turning and blocking shots again. If there's any way to address it because, you know, like, geez, like Tanev and Carlson, well, I mean, those were scary. Um, but, yeah. I, I, like, you know, I, I think, you know, first of all, other players have bought in. Like, Johansson's had a really good year for them, and that's been really important. Like, he's a guy they know. As you mentioned, Kemper and Lindgren have given them an up. All you got to be is one save better than the other team, right? And I think there's, there's some guys on that team who have really embraced, like, this is my opportunity. This is my, my opportunity, and uh, I'm going to take advantage of it. I think, it's, I think it's really amazing. Like, I know they planned on um, extending Laviolette this year. He's in the last year of his contract, and he's shown why he deserves it. I think a lot of people thought they'd be a lot worse. 
Uh, real quick, let's let's wrap up today's conversation and, uh, and and hint back to something we talked about at the top, and that is the Winter Classic next year in Seattle. And yeah. sticking with the baseball theme, we saw Wakefield and the Veritac. How about I'm a big Ken Griffey Jr. fan, always was. Um, mentioned that to Steve Mayer the other day when we when we talked to him. If there are one or two Seattle Mariners players you would like to see at the Winter Classic next season, for me it's Griffey. Who is it for you? Well, I think Griffey is a great choice, and I think he'd be the number one choice. So I can't argue with that. But you'd love to see Ichiro. Um, you'd love to see Randy yeah. Johnson. Like, when I when I think of the Mariners, I know locally you're probably going with Edgar Martinez. He's not as big a – or Jay yeah. Buhner. They're not as big national names, but, like, those guys are, are huge out there. But when, when I think Mariners, I think Randy Johnson. I think Griffey, of course. He's number one. And I think of uh, I think of Ichiro. Like those are the guys I want to see. But you know what? Like I hope they bring out some um, some Seahawks too. Like I, I would love to see like a Steve. Yeah. Lar- I, I know it's not their arena, but or their stadium. But I'd love to see a Steve Largent. I'd love to see a Richard Sherman. Wow. Like, I, I, Mar- Steve well, Marshawn Lynch is a is a part owner of the team. Yeah, it's the owner. So he, yeah, yeah, he's a part owner of the of the of the Kraken. So. You got to think he's going to be there. Maybe you could have him. Uh, you could have him reenact his famous run over the Saints again. I know it's the baseball stadium, not the football <laughs> stadium. And he's actually skated before, yeah. so I got to think. Like I would love to see a Largent or a, Sher- or, or a Sherman or a Lynch there. I, I just I don't, I don't, think, I don't think you bring back Russell of... Wilson though. It's not going very well for him. No, I don't know. It's not going. You know, I, I I know the NHL loves the visual of the 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 players skating around in toques, but if you can get Ken Griffey there, come on, you have to have all the guys with the backward baseball hats, don't you? Oh yeah, that's fantastic. Like it's, that's, a natural, it's a great right? idea. It's a great idea. That's, Absolutely. That, that, that's an easy one. I'm I'm good at the easy ideas. Okay, uh, on that we'll wrap. Watch for you tonight as part of our coverage of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the St. Louis Blues. Thank you, Frege. All right. Thank you very much, Jeff. Oh, by the way. Amber is, is claiming. F- yes. Amber is claiming. I know. I his idea. No, he's gaslighting yeah. it. No, it's, his idea was just as bad as we said it was. I'm, I'm just reading the text now about his claims of misrepresentation. Uh, I'll let you two settle it tonight. Uh, roll up the sleeves. This will be a good intermission feature between you two. By the way, I'm picking Amber in that fight, Elliot. No surprise. <laughs> I can understand that. I get it. Taking Ella, uh, taking, I'm taking Amber in that scrap. All right, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada, part of our coverage tonight of the Blues and the Maple Leafs.